Welcome to What's Next. I'm Joel Krogman, and this is my podcast where I talk to people who are doing cool things and try to get to the bottom of it. Today on the podcast is my conversation with John Guerra. John is a musician, recording artist, performer, producer, composer, renaissance man. Um, most notably, he was a composer on Terrence Malick's film, A Hidden Life, and on Terrence Malick's upcoming film, The Way of the Wind. I think that's right. The way of the wind. Yes, the way of the wind. I get into this in the conversation with John, but when I first moved down to Chicago, I was right on the edge of no longer playing music. I grew up in Canada until I was 23. I moved down to Chicago to get married to my wife, Mo. And up until that point, my lifelong dream was to be a musician a guitar player, a rock star. And in hindsight, uh, I, I, I had that dream because I wanted to be loved, universally loved and liked. <laughs> and so that was that seemed to be the best way to go about that. And I was pursuing that. I, I had played guitar professionally uh, for a little while and I didn't have a huge amount of success by any stretch, but I was doing it for a living. I had found while doing it that I it just wasn't what I had thought it was going to be. So when I moved down to Chicago, I was ready to be done. That's when I got into filmmaking beyond just a passion and a hobby and into it as a as a job. I started a business and, and all of that um, shortly thereafter is when I was able to. But John was somebody that I met through a mutual friend in Chicago. And, um, I, I just couldn't believe how talented he was. And he's just a good dude. John's music is definitely firmly in the Christian world of music, which is a world that I'm not really a part of anymore. Uh, but it is unique in that world and that it is very introspective and asks a lot of questions and doesn't have easy answers, doesn't present things in black and white. And, I really appreciate that specifically about his music and his approach, especially given how difficult and painful the last few years have been uh, politically and the role that American evangelical Christianity has played in all of that and continues to play. He asks really hard questions of himself and of what his faith should be and should produce and should look like in the world in a time when I think a lot of people are not willing to ask these kinds of questions to challenge ourselves and who we say we are and what we say we believe and why and what that should mean. So I was really excited to talk to John. I also just want to say that this conversation was recorded a while back last year. John talks about how he and his family have just tested positive for COVID, but that is not current news. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with John Guerra. What's going on? Well, have COVID. Oh, do you? Oh no. Yeah, me and Valerie and uh, and Winslow do. Ah, uh, shoot. Yeah, we got the bug. How's it been? Has it been rough? Um, it's been more rough for me than it has been for them. Which is, which is, it's good, but it's mainly just been like a, 
just like exhausting more than anything little yeah. cough and some drainage but more just like just feel like fatigue. i have like yeah exactly man it's like how long have so, you been feeling it um tested positive on sunday this past sunday and then uh we're you know counting down the days for like the five day window to be done yeah, yeah. and then we tested again last night and we were both still positive which made sense because we were both still feeling like oh yeah but uh oh it's annoying it's so crazy how it hits everybody different too yeah exactly there's a director that we're working with on a project right now and he uh he got it as well and two weeks after testing negative he's like no energy needing to sleep several times throughout the day just to just oh exactly no exactly i was I really rely on like running oh yeah every day to kind of just keep me stable and just haven't been able to do that and haven't wanted to do it I'm just just the worst yeah dude oh. uh, man well thanks for do, doing this do you, do you oh, want to course, reschedule man. this <laughs> no 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 I feel I feel good enough to have a good chat um, cool hey let me can I quickly run and get a glass of water yeah yeah sure all right cool beer back Yo. Hey, where are you right now? Are you at, at home? Yeah, I'm at home. Just in our little guest room studio here. It's kind of all we've had since since we moved down here two years ago. I had a spot in Chicago and I was I think I got a little spoiled, which is having a separate spot that was just just made for music making and Yeah. But this has been a sweet it's been sweet to kind of be around, like close for when our you know, Winslow's small and just can be close. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So you're in, are you right in Austin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, just south of downtown in a little neighborhood called Barton Hills. Sweet. And so, I mean, it's been like a, quite a long time since we've like really talked. <laughs> I, I know. Think maybe that that podcast performance. Creative muscle. Yeah, did. totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what are you doing now? Yeah, man. Um, so I pretty much just write and produce at home. Yeah, I've worked with a few different artists the past year. Um, if I need to do bigger projects, I usually go to Nashville to kind of track drums or a singer. Um, but we moved down to Austin to work on a movie. Um, we worked with this director, Terrence Malick, over... <laughs> the, this director. <laughs> Most oh, man, people how, don't how's... know him, bro. Most people don't really? know him. Oh my gosh, dude! Thin, thin red line. That that movie came out right when I was getting into filmmaking. Sick. And me and my buddies watched that <laughs> so many. Oh man, we got to work on a hidden life over 2017, 2018 remotely when we were still in Chicago. And then when that came out, he invited Valerie and I to work on the next one. And we were having Winslow around that time and needed to move out of our apartment in Chicago. And so we just made the move to Austin, and that was March 2020. We worked on that film for about a year and then our job ended and just been living here since then, kind of writing and producing music. And you're doing, are you, are you working on your own stuff mostly or are you producing a lot of other people? Uh, right now, I, right now I'm doing a lot of my own stuff. Last year I worked on three records for other people and that was good. Um, but this year I'm kind of trying to clear the slate to, uh, just to finish my next record. I think I saw it in your site you're you have one coming out pretty soon here, right? Well, that's yeah, that's what I'm working on. That's what I'm trying to okay. make happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um 
I think I'm close, but it's like the last 10, 20% is always kind of the, for me, it's always the hardest, you know, it's easy mm-hmm. to just like throw paint, throw paint. And then when you start editing, it's like, that's where kind of the magic happens and mm-hmm. um, slower progress, but it's better. And then uh, probably hit, hit the road in May and then probably touring a lot more this year. So hoping to release that and then tour on it a bit. Are you going to go across across the U.S. or other places? or Probably just across the U.S., yeah. Um, there's an artist named Taya, actually, who is releasing a solo record that I produced, made it with her, and she invited me to go on tour with her, um, both as like MD in her band, but then also as a opener. When you do that kind of thing, I mean, life changes a little bit when you have a little one in tow. How do you how do you manage all that? We honestly haven't done it yet. Right now, she's just been coming with us, and okay, the goal would be to have her come with us. Living that road life, <laughs> she has some good stories. I know. We'll see. I'm not totally looking forward to yeah, just being gone, but I think it'll be fun if if we can make it work for us. Well, dude, I mean, I I um. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is is b- because when I was in high school, I that's when I started getting into music and playing music and mm. and um, really sort of that that dream sort of happened for me. And the goal was to become like a some kind of rock star who could who could <laughs> tour the world and be be loved by fans everywhere. Oh, the dream! Oh, the dream! Yeah, the dream. <laughs> and um, you know that didn't happen, but uh, that's okay. But the um, it was good. You- you got a lot better, better deal out of it. <laughs> yeah. But I, uh, you know, it, when I came down to Chicago, I, I, I met you like, I don't know, a couple years after that, I was still kind of playing music, but I was kind of like, it was sort of phasing out of my mm. life as a, as an identity for me and kind of something that mm-hmm. I did. Um, certainly I didn't do it professionally anymore. And, and, um, but anyways, when I met you and heard heard your music and you know you and Val and your you were, the band I think your band was called Milano back then mm-hmm. and it was it was like genuinely the first time where I met somebody in real life where I was like I was like holy shit this this guy is like has what it takes actually to to oh, like man. you know to 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 do that to live that life and um and and you know coming from small town Canada um. I never, I had never really met anybody like that before, you know? And so that, that was like my first impression of you. And you've, and since then you've just been, you know, making music steady at your craft, steady at, you know, like the spirituality behind it. So I'm super curious where you grew up, how you grew up, you know, what your family life was like. Well, thanks for, thanks for saying all those sweet things. And it's fun to have this, have this chat. Yeah. I feel like you are kind of a staple in Chicago in my mind. We didn't, cross paths too much but we met yeah shortly after val and i got married and um we had some good mutual friends and yeah but so i grew up um an only child uh my parents are both immigrants my dad's from cuba my mom's from argentina and um was born in california and then shortly thereafter moved to houston texas where uh i lived till i was 12 and Houston was really just playing soccer, mm-hmm. riding bikes, um, not much music in my life at that point. But uh, my dad has also always been a pastor of small churches, small Hispanic churches. And summer before seventh grade, my dad got a job 
way up north in a suburb of Chicago called Wheaton. Yeah. And we moved up there. And uh, right a few weeks after we moved, I I went on a trip with that, uh, my new church. And on that trip, there was a youth pastor who's leading it who would lead songs in his guitar at night. And that was really the first time I remember music having kind of a pull and an impact on me. Mm. I don't remember why, but there was something to my 12-year-old brain and heart that just like, it just like lit me on fire. It was like, I, I know, you know, I, I had moved away from my friends, from the life that I knew, from all my family. And that was probably all gasoline mm-hmm. on my heart. And when he sang these songs, just no no PA, just like 12 kids around in a circle, just classic. Mm-hmm. He's on a Taylor guitar. It just lit me on fire. Yeah, And I didn't know then that it was God, but I believe now that it was, that there was something spiritual happening to that. But it was also music. You know, it was like, whoa, yeah, I can't believe that music could do this to me. So I just ran after music. You know, I, I got some core charts, came back from that trip. My mom had a guitar from when she was a little girl, just like a little Yamaha acoustic. And I picked up a chord book from Guitar Center and started teaching myself chords with these church songs with the little letters on top. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty much all I did, man. I was an only child and just kind of taught myself guitar and didn't have any friends that summer. So Did you have like an artsy bent to you kind of up until that point? Not at all. No, I was, I was just soccer all the way basketball baseball just like really um really energetic kid my mom describes like just jumping off the walls all the time and i think boys are a little bit like that yeah so i and i definitely fit that bill just always outside always on my bike i was super into skateboarding which i guess is quasi i think about (laughs) yeah you know late 90s skaters it's like we were kind of it was kind of an aesthetic as much as it was a hobby yeah so in that (laughs) sense it was but but no not really not really artsy at all but i got super into music and i picked up guitar pretty quick and just started playing in church and then um it was in high school that i met some friends my freshman year and uh they were just like me kind of really into music at that point, it was, you know, I, I launched into guitar and then just launched into bands. Anytime I got that feeling from a band or a song, I would search them down, beg my parents to get me the CD at Sam Goody <laughs> until, you know, they would. And uh, then freshman year, I just met my people, you know. Huh. Uh, I'm sure you have same kind of stories you find. Yeah, yeah. You find the friends that you just kind of, you all love the same music and then you just kind of you become inseparable and yeah that was me and my friends and they all kind of played a little bit of guitar a little bit of bass a little bit of drums so we started a band in high school and basically just did nothing but listen to music and play music <laughs> and started listening to cooler bands and i had my i i think it was really cool that i grew up in a town in wheaton which is a town with a college called wheaton college yeah so a lot of the people that were my teachers and that were my, uh, you know, youth leaders, they were all Christian, uh, Christians with kind of a Christians who read broadly and Christians with cool tastes in music. Yeah. It's something about that town at that time. I remember my, it was my sophomore youth leader who showed me Radiohead Hmm. the first time. So it was okay to listen to non, non non-Christian music. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, you know, they were showing us, 
good books and novels. And it was kind of like cool to be like smart and into artsy things. So I think that's kind of even where my love for reading and my love for plays and, and just sort of like experiencing really the spiritual life through art was kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know, just kind of grown up into it, which I, I, I f- find now is pretty is pretty tremendous because so many people's religious experience growing up was was not that. It was a little bit more yeah. stifling. And there definitely was like legalism and fundamentalism, you know, growing up. And yeah. But for me, when music hit my life, it was more in this context of these older, cooler kids or leaders who were into things that actually were cool. And even, you know, the girls I was liking were into cool bands and showing me things. And <laughs> and then with piano, I, I was in choir in high school. So I started getting introduced to all this like classical music and I took a study hall and went to one of the practice rooms and just kind of played piano um, an hour a day for a whole year, my junior year of high school. And that's where I learned piano. So you were just self-taught in that? Just self-taught. Yeah. I would, I would uh, go to the library and get some CDs of like classical music, put on the headphones and kind of listen to 10 seconds of a Chopin nocturne and then press pause and try to figure it out and then listen to the next 10 seconds. I can always play by ear pretty well, probably because I learned guitar on my own, but yeah, um, yeah, that became a real help to me. And being an only child, I think you sort of learn how to teach yourself stuff because yeah, sure. spent a lot of time by yourself doing stuff. Did you stay connected with that youth leader? So I didn't stay connected, but I was actually on tour in my late 20s, five, six years ago now. And uh, he had moved and I heard... Um, somebody that also was in that youth group was like, oh, you're never going to believe that Matt Stoll, he's at this church. And we were both like, no way. Like, And he had stopped being a youth pastor. I think he was selling insurance or I don't, I don't know what he was doing. He just, <laughs> it was like a short stint of like doing some ministry stuff. And then he kind of switched careers. Yeah. But um, he kind of came up to me after the concert and uh, was like, you're probably not going to remember me. But, and I was just like, dude, man, you are the reason like I'm even here. Wow. And I could tell it was pretty impactful for him because he just thought, you know, I was a youth pastor for like two, three years and right. it was kind of a detour in my life. And now I do this other stuff. But yeah, that's crazy. it was cool to see even just seeing it on his face like, whoa, because it, it really is him. I just have, it's like burned in my mind, just this guy on an acoustic and wow. um, just goes to show you never know when you're going to have an impact on somebody. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Especially especially that age group. It doesn't always seem like <laughs> you're able to connect. Exactly. Exactly. But they really are paying attention to the middle schoolers. Yeah. Growing up kind of in the, the church as you did, what was the, sort of the spirituality that was in your home? My parents are both super, super devout. You know, I that's another thing I'm very grateful for is you know, there's a lot of wacky things that I I think I grew up, I was laughing with my dad this last Halloween because I sent him a picture of my daughter in a Tigger outfit. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh man, we were so we were so off about not letting you wear costumes and go trick-or-treating. It really was, was a harmless thing. And we had a good laugh about it. You know, I don't have any yeah, yeah. wounds from that or anything. But um, I, in my mind, I always felt like my dad really loved God and my mom really loved God. And they really, really, uh, you know, when you're a pastor of a small church that are that's majority immigrants, um, part of your, your your job's a little different than maybe a pastor who um, of like middle to upper middle class Christians, you know, because yeah. immigrants need a lot of help and they need a lot of 
care and it's not just like mm-hmm. spiritual teaching on sunday morning it's uh yes it's practical you're doing life with people and i i just saw my parents do do a lot of stuff that wasn't on their job description they just were like sh- shepherds of people who were poor and who were new to the country and i think that's had a big effect on me both in um my understanding of what a pastor is and 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 what i think ministry is but but even just what a what a christian ought to be. Mm. Yeah, some somebody who really lives their life at at 100%, I guess authenticity, has a set of convictions and then lives by them to the full. I mean, it even you know, to this day, just when my dad's even just praying for the meal, he just he's so passionate and just cares about every word that he says and the older mm. I get, the more that that becomes important to me. So that that was kind of the the atmosphere. But I you know, practically it was Hispanic churches are always like, it's always the Hispanic church of a larger English church. So I grew up, you know, going to just the evangelical Bible churches. Okay. And my parents really wanted me to speak English um, because they struggled with English because they came when they were, my dad when he was 12, my mom when she was like six or seven, and they struggled with the language. So they really wanted me to, um, you know, not have that struggle. And so I was always in like English youth group mm-hmm. and um, just very much kind of assimilated into the majority culture at the church. A lot of the wacky things that I think evangelicalism is, uh, people are bringing up now, I kind of grew up around. What you do now, a lot, I think you describe your your music as Monday morning devotional music. It's, it's very inherently spiritual, but it's almost like it's created for like a private moment rather than like the yeah. corporate. yeah. How, how did you come to find that as like what you were interested in exploring with your music? I think that was probably something that is a function of my personality. I'm a, I'm a pretty introverted person. And mm. in college, I had kind of a bad breakup early on and discovered that, um, discovered prayer as kind of a resource for consolation and comfort and discovered just how, how rich it was to, you know, read the Bible and just be quiet for long stretches of time. That was kind of my college experience was kind of exploring a lot of that quiet interior time. So I think my spirituality and my really love for really the the Christian life that I'm trying to even continue to develop now and trying to help people with now was kind of started then because I, I, for whatever reason, I never could, I never could relate emotionally or spiritually to the super ecstatic and kind of enthusiastic corporate worship thing. Mm-hmm. I, I've come to I've come to see the value of it. I've had some really cool experiences in that too, but my natural tendency isn't really to like really love that. And so I always felt a little estranged in church when it was like the kind of the big happy clappy songs or the super passionate everyone's like blowing the roof off as a kid and as a teenager that just never felt like yeah I never felt like I could relate to it yeah I wonder if it comes back to that authenticity piece how authenticity was modeled for you and your as you were growing up the thing that I have a hard time with is it sort of feels like okay this is how we're this is what we're supposed to do now <laughs> you know and not necessarily reflective of where I'm at or the, mo- the the moment that I'm in and totally and now it doesn't even really seem to care about that yeah totally man and you know and I think a lot of people can be authentic and and do that like mm-hmm. 
it's just it's just a matter of like usually the introverts aren't the one aren't the ones right who can write songs that are like that you know and so it's like it's the extroverts who write their songs and the extroverts pick the songs and then the extroverts are mm-hmm. running churches and i i mean i don't know i haven't thought too much about it but i think there's a lot of us who who just feel that kind of we're a little bit more enriched by the interior pursuit of god rather than the exterior yeah, it's just a different purpose to it. I feel mm, like mm. you know than than like yeah. what maybe some of those rah rah songs totally. are, are written for. Totally, yeah. No, there is definitely a different purpose. You know, with my last record, Keeper of Days, I really tried to. Um, I started an experiment in Chicago where I would come into my studio, just my little room that I rented downtown above a pizza place that I put a bunch of sound treatment in and made my studio. <laughs> <laughs> I would show up. Um, and this is before we had kids and when we had, when I had time, lots yeah. of extra time, you know, <laughs> you know what it's like. Yes. I would show up and I would, um, I just started the practice of kind of just being quiet, being silent, hmm. like just literally before I turned anything on, just sitting on a couch in that room and kind of breathing and noticing my breath and looking out the window. And, um, and those times kind of became bigger and bigger and longer and longer and then I would um, kind of roll those times into working on the record. And, hmm. you know, I wasn't intending on that kind of being a theme in the record, but it, it ended up, I think, being a theme of the record. It ended up being something that I think it does that for people, I think, the last record. I've, I've heard just so many people say there is like a, there's like a quieting effect to it, which is awesome. Yeah. And I think if people, it, it's not like a background music, like when you're, grilling out with friends necessarily you know it's a little bit more like no which um probably is why you know it doesn't have like billions of streams because <laughs> music that's background music is just a lot more people listen to it but yeah i think i texted you but when i was listening to the uh rise and fall of mars hill and then your, you know that episode that your song came on mm-hmm. man it just hit that episode perfectly mm. and then i went you know i went back and and kind of went through through a bunch of your music again at that point and i was trying i I was exactly what you're saying i was like trying to work at the same time and i'm like man these lyrics these lyrics are requiring (laughs) way too much of me to have this on the background the lyrics just really do ask questions of the listener i think Mm -hmm. which i think are really profound Mm -hmm. but how Mm -hmm. so so you you were on a like with with your earlier music stuff you did seem to be kind of going more along the route of rock band not this like kind of reflective devotional type mm-hmm. music and how did you how did you take that that turn and kind of decide like no this is what I want to this is what I want to do actually this kind of music um you know man i think it was just a matter of uh experimentation i i love rock music and i love the really enthusiastic i i love being in a band like i love you know milano that band that we were in it was just with our best friends and my wife and her yeah. sister and we just had a lot of fun making crazy music, loud music, long songs. We just had a lot of fun with it. And there wasn't really any um, rhyme or reason to that. And uh, I think also in my mind, when in high school I was in a rock band and I thought, well, the only way you make music is by just being in a band. Like I'm not like a solo guy. Like in my mind, solo artists, like I just didn't conceive of myself as a solo artist. I always thought, Oh, I'm, I'm like a, I'm more of a band guy. Like my favorite artists were bands, except for like Sufjan and Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. 
But mm-hmm. I thought, well, my lyrics aren't as good as Bob Dylan, and I don't think I'm as like <laughs> creative as Sufjan. I think I'm probably more of like, like you know, I could maybe I'll start a band, like you know, Strokes <laughs> or I I don't know. I just saw myself a little bit more as as a band guy. Yeah, and uh, hmm. and when you're in a band, um, I guess with the exception of like Sigaros you know, there's not a lot of bands that have kind of quiet, songy, contemplative music. And I think musically too, I was still learning the the power of subtlety and the power of being paced. Everything was maximalist in, in kind of that era. And uh, yeah, it was so funny. It really wasn't until my mid to really my mid twenties that I realized, you know, I'm actually kind of a chill dude by nature. Like <laughs> I I love that kind of music, but sometimes I feel like I have, like, I remember we were doing a small little tour and I was so tired and I thought to myself, we were, we were in Ohio and it was before a show. I was so tired and I thought to myself, my gosh, now I have to muster this like energy to do this show and to be this front man. Yeah. And it was like, then that it first clicked, I'm like, maybe, maybe like, maybe I should do a style that's a little bit more like my personality. And that was the first time I remember having the thought, like maybe the kind of maximalist thing isn't quite the center of my self, you know, creative self. Yeah. I still at some point would, you know, I still would love to be in a band again and make loud music. And, but I think it's going to be more of like a, I dip into that. And then, cause I think the center of what I do now is, is a little bit more clear to me. And a lot of people don't have that, don't have that uh, knowledge about my, stuff before like my solo stuff yeah that you you have that whole context so that's i've no one literally no one's ever asked me that question but it's like so good yeah man i've been i've been to a few of those milano shows oh yeah dude that was so good i like i remember where i worked uh right on western like yeah yeah right yeah i had western and belmont i had western and belmont i remember that like a little editing studio in there and um it was like a gaming lounge, like a yeah. video gaming lounge, and 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 me and the me and the guys who owned it were buddies. In the mornings before the lounge opened, we always like just blasted music. I'm like, guys, you gotta hear this oh, album, nice. and then we put it on that. That thing was on regular rotation for nice. a while. Yeah, we loved it. Oh man, it's amazing. How are you sort of making the decisions about what you're doing now in terms of what you're working on, what you're creating? Are 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 you mm-hmm. sort of balancing between? your your own projects, your own goals with what, what you want to do with your stuff versus like Yeah. Money and yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the center of what I'm doing is my own writing and just my own records. That's kind of what I feel like my long term vocation and calling is, as I understand it now. Yeah. Um so everything kind of revolves around that in my life. My last record, Keeper of Days, was kind of a, afforded me literally afforded me and my family to be able to focus on that just like you know we were doing um a lot of touring before and that was kind of the main source of income but with with keeper of days it came out right at the beginning of the pandemic and enough people listened to it that like we were able to kind of live off that Mm -hmm. and then i was working on the movie and uh between those things it was like my life became more like in the chair versus like on the road and then when that record came out, I started getting a lot more requests to produce for other artists because I self-produced my last record. Yeah. So that was really cool. Then it was like, oh man, I could I could still be making music, you know, and working on working on great music that I believe in. Mm-hmm. So last year I worked on a few records and um, 
but I realize that it's the same source for me. Like if I'm working on somebody else's record, I'm just giving it all I have and I'm not holding anything back for my own stuff. And, mm. um, you know, it's like a limited, well, there's not endless amount of creativity and energy and time. I was hoping to be a lot further with my record by the end of last year than I was. So when this year came around, my wife and I had a conversation. Like, I, I think I got to say no to some things that are on the table just to really finish my next album. Cause that's the center of what I'm feel called to do. And really it's the center. It's what we make the most money off of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of how I choose now I'm trying to be wise with time and, do you feel like you're living your dream right now or do you do you feel like you're kind of waiting for it still? Oh, I feel like I'm living I'm living my dream. I I totally do. I you know, I feel sheepish even acknowledging that, but I definitely feel like holy cow. What a what a gift to be able to you know, make music and write songs and to work hard making something that I think is cool and interesting and to do it with purpose, you know, I feel like the songs um, are meaningful for people and, and kind of carve out a space for them to kind of be with God in a very intimate place. And I would love if I was going to expand out to, you know, to continue to help people with that, like um, to, to really um, see the beauty in their life and in their life with God and to love like, holiness, you know, to love, uh, goodness for its own sake. And, you know, whether that's through like retreats or I, I don't know, I just, that, that's the thing that I think makes me most excited. And, and, uh, I mean, I, I love music and I, to me, it's fun. It's just like, I, I enjoy writing. I enjoy everything about it. The, the preamps, the, just every, <laughs> every annoying thing. I love it. Um, but the thing that's, I think make, gives me so much joy is how somehow, you know, art can be more than the sum of its parts. You know, what is, I think it's, I think it was, uh, Auden, W.H. Auden, who said, um, art is a physical activity with non-physical impact or something. It's like a, it's a very mundane task is all, you know, what you do, what I do, painters it's a very physical thing but then the result is is like more than the sum of its parts and that's just it's yeah, crazy yeah. it just feels like magic so if there's other ways to kind of do that whether it's through art or through experience helping people um get away or that's probably where this goes but right now i'm, I'm happy as a clam so you're living the dream but is it is it what you thought it would be mm, definitely not no definitely not I think adulthood is a process of realizing that what you wanted wasn't actually what you wanted. Mm -hmm. I think that's whether you're an artist or not, that just feels like, yeah, that feels like the grace of adulthood. You know, you never thought that waking up early with a two year old would be the thing that brings you the most joy in an existential sense, but it is, you know, like being, being mm -hmm. a dad is like infinitely more fulfilling and meaningful and joy producing than any other role I've ever had. I had no idea. I would have never known that. I'm like, why, why didn't yeah. we have kids like a million years ago? This is like <laughs> the best thing ever. Like I want 15, you know, that. Yeah, yeah. And so same thing with music. Um, like you said, I was, same thing. I just kind of discovered music and then 
high school wanted to be a rock star and thought that was the end all be all traveling the world in a tour bus and you know just man yeah. just all these cool british rock stars i just admired and <laughs> now when i think of that i i just i'm i I'd run in the other direction. I want nothing more than a mundane, normal life where um, I can just go about my business with my family, doing the thing that I love. I mean, that's this yeah. is what feels like the dream to me—the sort of nine to five artist thing. It's a process of realizing that, right? Yeah. But did you did you have to experience that first, or did you have to put the other thing down, the old dream down first, before you could embrace this one? Mm. I think I did have a few experiences where I was touring, where I was gone all the time enough. It wasn't anything. It wasn't like, you know, MTV Cribs or whatever, or like, <laughs> you know, where it's like buses and jets. And But I had enough time being away that I felt like, okay, this is cool, but it's not, it's not what I thought it was, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then definitely when you, when you start – when you have a family, it introduces constraints that makes you really have to put some things down. And so you definitely had to put some things down. I mean, I definitely had to put down my idea that I was going to be traveling and I just can't be as, I can't do as much. I mean, single people just have way more free time and people without kids have way more free time. And, um, and that's still very, very, very hard. I mean, my wife and I both, weekly i mean daily sometimes we have these and especially now that we're locked down with we all have covid and we're we just can't go out we can't do anything we're just like this is just you can't be productive and and it's just very hard you know um so that's definitely something that you have to kind of negotiate in your life i think if you're going to do the family thing and the art thing but i i guess i don't know enough maybe i'm maybe everybody feels that way everybody with a family feels like they can't you know work as much um because they have a family so they have to let down some yeah they have to put down some idea of their own productivity um for the sake of their families it's it's probably everybody well i think there's plenty of people who maybe should do that but they don't (laughs) true fair enough family and relationships (laughs) pay the price (laughs) That's true. And especially in, in my industry, I just, I did know a lot of people who are a little bit further down the road who sacrificed their kids. Yeah. Um, first 10 years of their life, they missed it because they were on the road. And yeah, yeah. I knew I never wanted to be that. I knew, um, I just was like, that just feels cruel. You know, even if I didn't have like the idea that fatherhood was going to be as awesome as it was, I knew like, well, I, I don't want to be a bad, I don't want to be gone. I want to be around. My wife and I talk about it a lot as well, because like this, like filmmaking, you got to go where the stories are. You got to go, mm-hmm. you know, it is time. Even the stuff that's not, that's not, that's local is like, mm-hmm. you kind of got it while you're doing it. You, in order to do it well, you sort of have to give all your time, all your, mm-hmm. cause you got to shoot when the light's best and you got to mm-hmm. get there two hours before to get, you know, to get set, like all all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's like a, it's a constant, constant equation in your mind of how much you're sacrificing and what's it worth, you know, in the -hmm, the big picture. A thing that is a constant theme for me in my vocation, the thing that I do is the battle of self-doubt and Mm. that monkey on your back that, Mm -hmm. or at least on my back, that is constantly making 
it difficult, like cut, cutting, yeah. pulling the rug out from under my feet or whatever. Um, yeah. Do yeah. you, is that in, in oh, yeah. your art and how, do you experience that? And Big time. How do you, yeah. how do you deal with Man. it? Man, I mean, yeah, I definitely experienced that. I, I threatened to quit uh, at least a hundred times a year, I feel like. Um, <laughs> I think um, what I'm grateful for now is I've had enough runway with my own work and with my own career to to know that I might be I might be an imposter a little bit but I'm not like 100% an imposter like mm-hmm. I know I know a little bit about what I'm doing with something <laughs> and so I that kind of bedrock of confidence I think does come with time which is something that only time can give you like only just not giving up for amount of years you will get better and I think somebody told me that early on and I'm glad I'm glad they did cuz I always believed like sometimes it's just a war of who can last the longest like yeah in art you know yeah yeah who kind of keeps going and keeps working at it keeps trying and then you know my wife is very encouraging I have close friends who are very encouraging but it never goes away entirely I think the self doubt because what we're trying to do is something somewhat emotional, you know, it's, it's it's like an emotional impact. And if you don't feel that impact from what you're doing, sometimes it can feel like, well, I suck, you know, I, Mm -hmm. and not having any award to my name, you know, or any kind of accolade. Although I think people who have that will probably tell you, even with that, you feel like, well, my best work is behind me. Yeah. Or I tricked everybody. <laughs> or I tricked everybody. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I think it's I think it's really just a matter of, of just hand to the grindstone. Because the fact is, at some point our best work might be behind us. Like right, right. and that's okay too. And and the more it's funny, the more I it really helped when we had my daughter because it's like my identity, the weight of my identity kind of shifted. Hmm. Um from being like, I'm an artist or I'm a writer or I'm a songwriter or I'm a whatever to like, I'm a dad. And you know, at some point my daughter's not going to need me as much as she does now. That's going to introduce its own set of complications and things to work through. But you know, I think with Christianity, there's this idea of your identity being kind of spiritual and your value being intrinsic, you know, in your, in your image of it in the fact that you're an image of God and and the fact that you have a soul and the fact that you're going to live forever, the fact that you're like, you are somebody else's poem, you know, the, the word in Ephesians poema, you are created, um, you're his workmanship, you're his poem. So I just, that's just a, a, a something that especially as artists should speak to us. You know, we've, somebody cared enough for us about us to have us exist and to really make us with all the unique idiosyncrasies of who we are. And that, that's something that we can kind of both rest in. And the more we do, it has this kind of, I think, you know, I really believe now that like, I believe it so much more now than I did then that like God kind of likes me and God kind of knows and loves me. And also I believe that like, I'm being made into something pretty awesome. Like not, not in an arrogant way, but like, I think God is working on me um, hmm. as a Christian. These are just things that I believe. And those, those beliefs kind of, you know, take root and I think have the potential to grow us into being really 
humble and selfless and wild artists. And so I think, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what I'm hoping, at least. It, in, in my experience, it's what I see as being the most valuable and impactful. And what I'm hoping continues to take root is that, like, I'm valuable to, to God. You know, I'm valuable to... And really believing that, you know, because it is, it is crazy also to think about that, like, oh my gosh, in two generations, like, I don't know who my great, great grandparents were. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I don't know who they were. They weren't famous people. What did they do? I, I have no idea. Yeah. So like, we're going to, we're going to be forgotten in terms of like all the people we're trying to impress now, the people I'm hoping listen to my music, like, right. But, but I think we're going to be alive in, in the eyes and in the mind and in the reality of God. Um, I hope that my work kind of resonates in that realm and in that plane of reality. Yeah. It's a perspective that sort of allows you to like play a different game. Mm-hmm. If you're no longer trying to get your value from mm-hmm. what you produce, from what other people think about what you produce, you know, if you already f- have found value, then you can mm-hmm. sort of approach everything you do a lot differently. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay, two things real quick. What yeah. what was it like working with Terrence Malick on those movies, man? He was cool, man. Um, Were you? Did you work with him directly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and with people on the team who've become dear friends. Um, it was a lot of uh, trying things out. He it is a very experimental process. So we recorded for a Hidden Life hundreds, and I mean hundreds of different pieces. Wow. Um, like he's to just, picture or he just is like, I mm-hmm. want something kind of like this. Yep. Kind of like that. Occasionally it was to picture. Occasionally it was like, you know, sit me down with a scene in the office and I'd kind of work with my MIDI keyboard on something. But huh. what really ended up being fruitful was like, he would send us pieces to come up with versions of like shadows of classical pieces, smaller versions of classical yeah. pieces. Um, and then just do it again, do it again. What about this? What if you, what if it was, what if you inverted the melody? What if you tried it with the hmm. viola instead of a violin? What if, just what if, what if, what if, what if? And so I, I learned like really just to, to love the process and love the experimentation. And in my own work, I do that now a lot too. Just spaghetti at the wall. Just see what sticks, see what happens. Don't get too married too soon to something. How did that even, there's like a mutual connection? Yep. One of my best friends was working for him and, kind of introduced us made the connection uh, is there any any more movie stuff that you're gonna um not now i mean no we worked on this next one called a way of the wind and they're still working on it and editing it and it's fun to kind of be adjacent kind of around that community as they're in the weeds making it and yeah yeah seen little clips here and there and uh it's gonna be amazing that's awesome okay and um so just just uh Last thing here is it just just for you, what is what is living a life that that has meaning that matters that is a life well lived? Mm. It really means to me living before God, before people, and I think in that place you find you're kind of the thing you're the thing you're meant to do. You know, whether it's art, whether it's whatever, whatever your job is, it's like you can do that like we talked about before, before people, you can do it before God. I, and I think the world is, is, is helped by people living before God. The people that have made the biggest impact haven't been living to try to impress their community or their, uh, their world. They've been living 
to try to please the God who's kind of pleased with them already. And in that, they start orphanages and make great art and lead countries with integrity and uh, come up with products that help people. And, you know, I think that's what a meaningful life is. And ultimately, you're not concerned with the masses. You're concerned with kind of the micro, like your neighbor, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Yeah, it's wild that a family is, is, there's so much meaning just in a family unit, so much impact that can be made, so much beauty and joy and the whole palette of life's treasures and the whole just like everything available to you joy-wise and happiness-wise is available to you in a with people, you know? Mm-hmm. Anything better than sitting with your friends around a fire, enjoying yourself or partner that you love, kid that you made together? I mean, there's just, there's, yeah, I think I think the micro is really where meaning is, is found, not so much in the macro. It's great. Well, thanks, man. I, I yeah, man, really appreciate. It. I can't, I cannot wait to hear your new album when it comes out, and looking forward to seeing what you do next. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening and for your encouragement. Yeah, of course, of course. All right, man. We'll feel better. I hope you all Thank feel you, better. Man. Say hi to Val for me. <laughs> Thank you, man. Say hi to Mo. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. All right, dude. All right, brother. Talk to you later. Peace. Thanks, man. You can learn more about John and his music and everything he's up to by visiting his site, johngaramusic.com. The link to his site is also in the episode description. I recommend checking out his music. He has a new album coming out in May of this year with singles releasing prior to that. He has some tour dates on his site, and I definitely uh, recommend checking him out if he's coming your way. All right, that was episode seven. Episode seven. Still going. Um, Next week, I think, will be a bit of a different kind of week. We're going to try something new. So hopefully hopefully we're able to do it. Um, But until then, thanks for being here. And we'll see you next week for episode eight.